It's all about attracting new jobs and creating new startup companies. Purdue is top four, not just in basketball and engineering, but also in patent received from the U.S. Patent Office. And we're gonna bring that full power of Purdue to serve the future of the business community and the quality of life in Indianapolis. Welcome to Off the Record, a podcast featuring leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, which publishes the Indiana 250, a list of the most influential business people in the state. Today, I'm joined by Purdue University President Meng Chang, who became Purdue's 13th president on January 1st of this year when he succeeded Mitch Daniels. President Chang came to Purdue from Princeton back in 2017 to become the dean of Purdue's famed College of Engineering. He quickly distinguished himself at Purdue by leading the College of Engineering to even greater prestige, increasing its size, rankings, research, and fundraising, becoming America's largest top four engineering college. President Chang was only 40 at the time, becoming one of the youngest leaders of a major college at an American university, and he's now the youngest president of a top 50 university in the country. It's safe to say the last six years have been a whirlwind for President Chang. He took a one-year leave of absence from Purdue in 2020 to become the science and technology advisor to U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and when he returned to Purdue at the end of 2020, he was soon named Executive Vice President for Strategic Initiatives at the university, while continuing as the Dean of the College of Engineering. President Chang previously taught and did research in electrical engineering at Princeton, where he received the Distinguished Teaching Award for developing one of Princeton's first massive open online courses a course that has been taken by more than 400,000 people and received the 2013 NSF Waterman Award, the highest honor to a researcher under the age of 40 in the United States. President Chang has done extensive research in wireless networking, and most of the 25 U.S. patents he holds have been licensed and deployed by the communications and networking industry. He's also co-founded three startup companies in mobile networks, artificial intelligence, and the Internet of Things. One of the biggest projects at Purdue is happening right here in Indianapolis, where President Chang will oversee the expansion of Purdue's presence in Indianapolis, whereby Purdue will expand its enrollment by more than 1,000 students, a result of the highly anticipated separation of IUPUI into two independent urban campuses. This year, in recognition of all that he's achieved and the many forward-looking initiatives President Chang is involved in, he was named IBJ's list of the 250 most influential Hoosiers. President Chang, welcome to Off the Record Podcast. I'm so glad to have you as my guest today. Nate, great to be here. And by the way, this is Off the Record, right? That's right. All <laughs> exactly. right. Then there we go. Well, thanks again for being here. And uh, before we get to your work leading Purdue, let's talk a little bit about what you were doing before you arrived at Purdue. You decided to leave California where you spent time at Stanford and moved to the East Coast, joining the Princeton faculty and becoming an entrepreneur as well. Talk a little bit about your experience as an entrepreneur. It's the hardest thing uh, to create a new enterprise and to sustain it. I learned so much. Number one lesson is who before what. It's always the team who's on the team that matters most. Uh, everybody can produce some PowerPoints and say, my sales forecast is we're going to go through the roof next year. Well, uh, who do you have on your team and how do you work together as that team? I also learned so much about profit and loss 
We、uh, recruited some great people. We started paying them every month, and every time I write those paychecks, I look at my bank account for the startup company, and it's going down, 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 right? <laughs> right. And so we better get some extra. Either customer revenue or next round of investor funding in order to sustain this. You know, you always wake up every morning and thinking that this wonderful startup company, let's say in wireless networking industry, commercializing the research my students and I did back in the lab. Well, would it survive? And I'm proud to say that in all those startups, ever since I stopped being the CEO, the company did much better. <laughs> Is that right? Well, it's neat that you've had that experience because a lot of Folks that are working at universities, whether they're the president or otherwise, don't necessarily have that background. So for you to come and with to your position with, and have the appreciation of what it means to be an entrepreneur is pretty special. I just found that this is too hard for me. I'm going to go hide <laughs> behind the eternal viability of American higher education institutions. As I mentioned, you've lived on the West Coast and, and East Coast, and now you're in the heartland. And、uh, you know, Indiana has been ranked pretty highly as a place to start a business. But as you've got to know Indiana over the last、uh, number of years, is there something distinctive from your perspective that might set us apart as a state and maybe a competitive advantage of ours? First of all, Nate, you're being too modest about our fantastic state of Indiana. We're number one. As a state to start a new business, we're number one in manufacturing capability per capita.、Uh, I used to live in Carmel, number one city to live in America, and now I'm in West Lafayette, top five out of ten thousand K-12 school districts in America. It's West Lafayette, and of course, Greater Lafayette is now ranked number one emerging housing market three quarters in a row this year by Wall Street Journal. Look, we are the heart of American heartland. And whether it is the silicon semiconductors or advanced manufacturing or digital agriculture, pharmaceutical manufacturing, we're on a roll, and this is the non-stoppable momentum of the middle America coming back. It's amazing to have those those top rankings, and hopefully、we'll、keep that going. In terms of learning, we always try to learn something from our Indiana 250 guests, and I know we're going to learn a lot from you today. But in that vein, is there one thing that you might think about doing, or if you had a magic wand that you would say, "Gosh, if we would do this as a state,、uh, we might be a better place to live, or a better place to start a business, or grow a company." Job creation. And you know you have to create jobs and workforce and innovation together because without workforce jobs won't come, but without jobs workforce won't stay in our state, and without innovation to rewrite economic boundary conditions we cannot sustain. So that's why Purdue University, including Purdue University in Indianapolis, is all about focusing as a public land grant institution of our great state of Indiana to focus on the co-creation of jobs. And workforce and innovation together. So, switching gears a little bit to、uh, your leadership at Purdue, you've been deeply involved in forging ties between the university and the semiconductor industry. And of course,、uh, domestic semiconductor production is a major point of emphasis from from a national security perspective. How optimistic should we be as a state in terms of Indiana becoming a national leader in this space? We have all the promising potential to be just that, Nate. First of all, we all know and appreciate by now that、uh, those silicon chips—they are the foundation of national security, economic security, and job security. To、so、think about all those automotive companies surrounding, say, Purdue University, right? They couldn't finish the automotive production without those few chips. 
And when we think about digital agriculture, think about Industry 4.0, think about our pharma industry, think about EV battery. All of them require, and of course, all the AI happens in some silicon chips. Now, the good news is, if you look at Governor Holcomb's leadership, look at Senator Todd Young's leadership, and look at everything that IEDC and ARI have been able to do, is amazing how many wins we have scored. Over the past year or two in semiconductors, just last Friday, Governor Holcomb signed the agreement with IMEC, I M E C, which is the European headquarters of semiconductor innovation for 40 years, and they chose one place in America to invest in R and D center. It is Indiana on Purdue campus, and then the Flemish minister president and IMEC CEO drove up last Friday afternoon to do the ribbon cut. On Purdue campus, if you look at the U.S.-Japan semiconductor alliance that we were invited to sign at the end of G7 earlier this year, it's all about working together with like-minded nations, whether it's Europe or India or Japan, South Korea and Taiwan. But it's also about those companies coming here, bringing jobs with them. And it's an industry that has a, a long supply chain, so they have many upstream vendors, and they're going to create even more jobs here. So Purdue is just proud to be able to roll out semiconductor degrees program, host nations workforce development for Department of Defense, and now with IMAC partnership and many others and many companies coming to town to continue to work with host state with、uh, the. Outstanding institutions such as IU, Notre Dame, Ivy Tech, to work together so that we become that heart of the Silicon Heartland. That's amazingly exciting. You're attracting some really high-level visitors, I know, to West Lafayette, to Purdue.、Uh, you recently had a semiconductor summit where you had the Intel CEO、uh, Pat Gelsinger, as well as the U.S. ambassador to Japan Rahm Emanuel, in attendance. Tell us a little bit about that summit. If there are any、uh, big takeaways from、uh, that time with some of those folks, one of the things we announced、uh, back then was the creation of. Of a new uh, institute, uh, we now call it the Atara Institute for Advanced System Integration and Packaging. It's still a long mouthful, nerdy name, but、uh, what it means is that when you make those chips, then you have to slice them and then stack them, and that's called packaging. And America today is only two percent of the global packaging capabilities, and that's not good enough. We need to take that number. Forward and upward, and that's what Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger was also talking about. That the future of the Moore's law, doubling the density of these transistors on a chip, so that we can do more with our phones, with our fighter jets, and everything in between, is going to reside in the packaging step. And it so happens that、uh, John Atala, the co-inventor of the first commercially viable silicon transistor. 1959 in Bell Labs is a boiler maker. The whole session is this a Purdue commercial? I'm afraid. <laughs> But, so you're going to hear me say a few times boiler makers, Nate. So Atala is now honored with the naming of this institute. And think about it: 10 to the power 22 is a big number. I used to be engineer and understand those numbers better than I do today. But it's a big number. There's never been another human-made artifact than transistors ever. And it's rapidly increasing with the age of AI happening. So now we've got the Atala Institute to focus on packaging with our outstanding faculty. We announced 100 million dollars plus to invest 
Uh, just the hundred million dollar alone is on the facilities in Burke Nanotechnology Center, one of the best and largest clean room in any American universities for twenty years. Now we're going to grow it and expand it, upgrade it, as well as hiring additional faculty and PhD students to work on that. You mentioned Ambassador Emmanuel.、Uh, he dialed in remotely from Japan to kick off eleven universities, six from America, five from Japan to work together. And、uh, you know, Pat Gelsinger just gave a fantastic presidential lecture on stage with me on Purdue campus. It's very inspiring. If you haven't watched it,、uh, please go to YouTube and watch from the、uh, Purdue channel. But we are looking at educational research, but also policy influential actions that we can take in collaboration with the entire state of Indiana. But we've got stiff competitions: Nate, Texas, Florida, Arizona. Our neighbors: Ohio, Michigan, Illinois. Let's not forget California, New York, North Carolina. They are all doubling down too. They are waking up this year and announcing many other investments. So we're going to keep winning. We have to not only be number one one week, but also come back to be number one. I'm alluding to our men's basketball right now.、Uh, <laughs> That's right. You got to keep coming back and keep winning. It's amazing to have that leadership、uh, right here in the state, and、uh, exciting for with the potential. Staying on、uh, kind of this this area, we've been talking about、uh, thinking about some of the the recent news on the federal level. There's been these、uh, wonderful tech hubs,、uh, these designations that the federal government has launched. You mentioned Senator Todd Young, who I know was involved, of course, in the in the Chips Act. We've had one in microelectronics that we've been awarded, one in biotech manufacturing, another in hydrogen and clean energy. I heard someone say recently that we, as a state, had a less than a zero point one percent chance of actually pulling off all three, and somehow we did. And my hunch is that had something to do with your leadership and others, of course. But what should we expect to see as a result of these designations? And and tell us a little bit about Purdue's role in bringing these opportunities to fruition. It takes the whole village. And by the way, Nate, math was done, I think, by the governor. So I assume it's correct.、Right? You okay, know, so we have to. You know,、uh, well, <laughs> the Senator Young、uh, sponsored the bipartisan bill, was now known as the Chips and Science Act, signed into law about a little over a year and four months ago now. And two of the programs that got rolled out first, one is the、uh, Microelectronic Commons Hub out of Department of Defense, and the other is the Regional Tech Hub. Uh, and then there is the Department of Energy's own separate、uh, funding for the hydrogen hub. So three national competitions, and Nate, this is contact sports. It's just same thing as football, basketball, volleyball. This is contact sports, and it's national. This is right away NCAA tournament level, right? And、uh, we've got forty-nine other states as well, and they are paying attention too. And I'm just so happy that、uh, Governor Holcomb. Worked with IEDC to create what is now known as ARI, Applied Research Institute, led by the CEO Dave Roberts. And so I think it's Roberts' math there, because he said it's about ten percent probability of winning. About say eighty-three applied, only eight got selected, right? In the microelectronic hubs competition, so ten percent in each case. And assuming these are three independent events, which they are, you multiply that ten percent out, so it's zero point one percent. I'm just so proud as a Hoosier, as a Boilermaker, that Central to Northwest Indiana is the only region in the entire United States to have secured three out of three wins, and Purdue is proud to be a part, a leading university partner in three out of three, the only one in America. 
it's great news for the for Indiana's prospects, of course. So excited about that. Just switching gears to another a big topic that, of course, is on everybody's mind, and that's artificial intelligence. You have expertise, I know, personally in this sector and commercializing some efforts in that area. But in Purdue, of course, has a lot of expertise in artificial intelligence. I read an article that, that you wrote where you expressed a little fear in terms of what AI could mean negatively in terms of individual freedom. But maybe talk a little bit about your concerns in this area and, and what we might and how we might think about the steps we can take to ensure that AI advances in individual freedom versus the alternative. Individual freedom, that is at the core of what we stand for as a country. And uh, uh, I do have concern that big data, depending on who's collecting, how they are stored and used and so on, may become a problem. And we need market competitions. And we need basic guardrails whereby individuals like you and me and the listeners right now, as consumers, we can have the transparent information given to us by companies and governments that we can choose to opt out as much as possible. And when we must opt in, then at least we know with full transparency what's going on there with our data. And when we don't like it, we have the ability to appeal, possibly through an independent judicial system and a rule of law court process. That is at the foundation of a democratic society. As for AI, education and research, now there's a lot of positive things about it, so don't get me wrong. And indeed, Purdue is one of the leading universities in rolling out majors and minors and online degrees for AI and applications. We have a philosophy major offered now in AI, not just in computer science. We have a lot of research going on in physical AI meaning that how can the bytes of artificial intelligence work with the atoms of what we make, what we grow, and what we move as a state, right, in manufacturing, in agriculture, and in transportation as the smart crossroads of America. And now we are circulating this month a draft guideline of the use of AI in teaching and learning. Not just learning AI, but use of AI in learning. And we're not going to be shy about it. We're not telling students and faculty, don't. No, we're saying that let's work together, embrace it in a responsible way, and co-create the future. You know, just when calculator was invented, well, we started teaching students more about how do you translate real-world problems into mathematical formula instead of the speed of adding multiplying numbers. When uh, Wikipedia or web in general first became widely available, we taught students how do you cite sources properly, right? So let's embrace what AI could mean in the teaching and learning and research environment, but also let's make sure that we retain the spirit of freedom in the age of AI. Let's take a quick break. This is Off the Record Podcast. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Off the Record Podcast. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, and I'm talking with Meng Chang, president of Purdue University. 
as I mentioned in the intro, you, you served as a diplomat and policymaker when you served as the science and technology advisor to the United States Secretary of State, and you initiated the U.S. government's tech diplomacy program. Can you talk a little bit about your role and what that experience was like? I was just immensely proud to be given the opportunity to serve my country. And uh, I learned a lot during that one year. And also, I felt immediately at home because the amount of bureaucracy and email traffic in universities is very similar <laughs> as in federal government agencies. Uh, now, despite the paperwork and bureaucracy, uh, I think uh, we worked together with the uh, career foreign service officers and civil servants there alongside to advance this tech diplomacy agenda for our country. And the mission can be summarized very simply as technology must advance freedom. And technologies are usually born neutral. They can easily be abused to suppress freedom. And we have an obligation as technology and foreign policy increasingly interact with each other to ensure that uh, we stay away from that Orwellian 1984 nightmarish vision. You've been around some extraordinary leaders in government, in business, and, and academia, of course. Who have been some of the bigger influences in your professional life thus far? The one that you just interviewed not long ago, Mitch Daniels. Not only because Mitch recruited me from another university to Purdue back six, seven years ago, I learned so much by working on his team, learning by observing him and how he articulates, how he executes, how he gets things done, and the ability to continue the amazing Daniels decade at Purdue is just the most humbling honor that I could imagine for myself. There are many other outstanding mentors I've had over the years, including my two PhD co-advisors. Uh, one passed away already. The other, why, uh, the, the other one is still uh, very active in research and just learned from them how to think. It's not as much what we cover in a university, whether you're an undergrad or a master PhD student. It's not what we cover, but what we uncover together. It's that level of curiosity, problem-solving mindset, the ability to think in certain ways that what we uncover together about ourselves and the world around us is perhaps what education is ultimately about. Well, sticking on uh, the first guy you mentioned, Mitch Daniels, Purdue this year named its business school after him. What, what can you tell us about the new Mitch Daniels School of Business? As uh, a former boss of yours and mine, yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you, Nate, for your leadership by EDC you. uh, early on. And people may not have fully realized that to Mitch also has been an outstanding and successful business leader himself. And he always would say that those 10 or 11 years in various roles in Eli Lilly taught him a lot that turned out to be very useful in serving as OMB director or as governor or as president of Purdue University. So it's uh, very proper and fitting, both in terms of recognizing the Daniels decade transformation of our university, but also in recognition of his leadership as a business uh, leader uh, to name our reimagined school of business as the Daniels School of Business. And the goal is to A, serve our state of Indiana by producing many outstanding future leaders in a tech-driven free market economy. 
Another goal is to uh, redefine what business school education and research is going to look like this century when there's so much tech-infused opportunities and challenges. Like we want all the students to be AI, not only literate, but AI capable. We want to re-examine the research that sits behind the big data in economics and business. We have the new integrated business engineering major. We have amazing business analytics major as jobs are displaced and created nonstop by technological forces. How can we train those leaders? So we just approved with the board of trustees vote last Friday, a new building on, in addition to uh, the existing buildings, but it's all about recruiting the best talents faculty, staff, and students, starting with the leadership. So four months ago, we were able to recruit, at that time, the longest standing president of a Federal Reserve Bank, Dr. Jim Bullard. He's been for 15 years president of the Fed in St. Louis. And now he's the dean of the DSB. And uh, we're going to have a lot of amazing faculty and students come our way. Congratulations. That's an exciting development for sure. Oh, by the way, they are going to, Nate, come to Indianapolis. The DSB programs will be an essential and integral part of Purdue University in Indianapolis expansion. Very good. So that's a good segue into uh, Indianapolis and the efforts uh, that Purdue will have with your uh, increased presence and efforts in the city. Can you talk a little bit more besides uh, the DSB school? Can you talk a little bit more about some of the new developments in terms of maybe some of the physical changes that we might see one day on the campus here of Purdue's Indianapolis presence, as well as some of the exciting new industry partnerships uh, like the High Alpha collaboration, by example? It's about the places, the people, and the partnerships. But first of all, this is all about our capital city, Indianapolis, deserving outstanding universities in plural form. And because Purdue University Indianapolis is not a regional campus, it won't have its own chancellor, it's part of uh, Purdue's main campus, West Lafayette. And therefore, uh, as a top 50 university, according to some U.S. News ranking, (laughs) well, all rankings are noisy and partial. I like it better when they rank us <laughs> higher. Uh, now, so Indianapolis will, come July 1, see for the first time a top 50 university in America right here. And this is all about our state, especially central Indiana, creating that jobs and innovation and workforce together. It's all about serving the need of our business communities right here uh, throughout the city, not just downtown. But First of all, I have to say this is going to be one plus one equal three rather than one plus one equal half. And we thank uh, President Pam Witten and IU board and the entire IU team for working together as partners in creating the agreement that led us to this one plus one equal three coming up in July. And we thank Governor Holcomb. We thank the state legislature because without their support, this wouldn't be possible as well. Now, the places, yes, five of the current buildings in engineering, technology, and sciences, but also the 28 acres that we were allocated next door across the street. But it's more than that. Have one floor in the High Alpha building in the beautiful Bottle Works district with Scott Dorsey and his partners over there. We're going to go to 16 Tech. We're going to go work with many other business partners Think 11 Park, Elanco's new constructions, right? We're going to go to other parts of the city, 
so it would be diffused, just like those uh, wonderful marbles uh, in a very nice uh, piece of steak. I'm a big steak eater, so um, <laughs> you know my analogy is always food related, ice cream or steak related. Now the programs, yes, we'll be inheriting the engineering and technology and computer science part of IUPUI, but it's much, much more than that. Think about uh, hospitality and tourism management. Think about all the health-related majors and degrees, including nursing, pharmacy coming out of Purdue. Think about the Daniel School of Business. Think about practically every major and degree, undergrad and graduate and executive education coming out of Purdue. You're going to see the full power of Purdue at the uh, 100% service for our city of Indianapolis. And ultimately, it's all about the partnership. And that's why we're going to have all of those engineering students must do at least one semester, if not a whole year, of learning while working as an intern, as a co-op student with local business. It's all about attracting new jobs and creating new startup companies. Purdue is top four, not just in basketball and engineering, but also in patent received from the U.S. Patent Office. And we're going to bring that full power of Purdue to serve the future of the business community and the quality of life in Indianapolis. Now, it's exciting. I mean, it's on everybody's mind. Anybody thinking about the future of Indianapolis and future economic development efforts, everybody is talking about the, what it will mean to have both a Big Ten universities here in the city, you know, and really expanding the effort in such a significant way. Thanks for explaining some of the Purdue's efforts. Thinking about something that's always on on people's minds, uh, that, and that's a tuition freeze. Uh, wow. So, so Mitch Daniels, of course, uh, as president, started this some time ago, and uh, it, it's caught the attention of I think everybody nationally and probably internationally that for now many years Purdue has done a great job of controlling costs, and and just recently I think you just announced and your board of trustees announced a thirteenth year yes of last tuition Friday. freeze and uh, carrying you through the twenty five twenty six academic year if I've got that right. Tell us a little bit about, you know, at a time when the cost of higher education looks like everywhere else is skyrocketing, what is the Purdue formula for holding the line on, on costs? You know, affordable excellence at scale, uh, that is something we as a public institution cares deeply about. Now, when you first said, you know, what's on everybody's mind, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Purdue-Arizona game on Saturday, uh, <laughs> where number three, Purdue, is going to unseat and take back what is ours, number one, in America. So, But yes, also, what's on everybody's mind is this, how can you keep tuition frozen now 13 years in a row? Well, as Mitch would say, it's a simple math. You set the right-hand side to be zero and solve for the left-hand side. And by the way, we're not shy in investing. This year alone, if you look at those physical facilities investments, those are right there cash, right? Those that are completed and those that are just starting this year, 2023 alone, 23 projects totaling $1.3 billion of cash. And we thanked General Assembly and many generous donors and our own savings every year from the operating budget that gave us the capability to do that. We have 5% merit increase pool for faculty staff salary back to back two years in a row, right? And people ask, so how do you do it? How could that be possible? And I say, a simple pie chart. Undergraduate tuition fee is only 38% of Purdue's annual operating budget. We're a public institution. You can check all our numbers right out there. What about the other 62%? 
Why can't we work harder to increase the growth rate of the 62% of the pie? Don't always just get to that easy exit, the closest the door out, and say, yeah, the 38%, that demand is inelastic anyway. Why don't we squeeze them harder, make our lives easier? We say, well, let's work harder to grow that 62% uh, because we want our what we call earnings to debt ratio at Purdue to be the best in America. By that, I mean, if you look at the average first year salary after graduating from Purdue, divide that by the average student loan debt you still have at the time of graduation. For Purdue, that number is 6.02 this year. So that means roughly if you stop eating, that is, and stop paying tax, don't do that, uh, don't do either, then it only takes two months of your first year salary to pay back the entirety of your student debt on average. Now, of course, after everything else, you know, the disposable income is much less, but still, earnings to debt ratio is 6%. That speaks volumes both to our affordability equation, but also that excellence at scale in terms of the average earning potential of Purdue graduates. I know, Nate, I'm doing too much commercial for no, Purdue No, it's now. an amazing stat, and it's an amazing accomplishment. So congratulations. Every university should publish what is their earnings-to-debt ratio throughout America. That'd be a good one to pay attention to, that's for sure. Recently, Purdue was in the news with a new passenger service uh, to Purdue's airport uh, with flights beginning next year to Chicago O'Hare. Could you talk a little bit about that announcement and the importance of this for the, for the region? Well, yes, indeed. Uh, for three distinct and equally important reasons. Number one is as a reflection of the economic growth of the greater Lafayette region. When the commercial passenger service stopped exactly 20 years ago in spring 2004, well, since then, over the past 20 years, especially with the creation of Discovery Park District uh, under Mitch's leadership, we have attracted so many more jobs, people, talents, and tax-based revenue, and yes, also warm bodies for seats that organically airlines, in this case, South and Airways Express, started talking to us and say, hey, maybe this first university airport, 1930, in the United States could resume that uh, commercial passenger services. And this will do wonderful things for the next 20 and plus years of economic growth and opportunities for the Greater Lafayette. That's number one. But also, number two, think about everything we can do for aviation technology, for aerospace engineering, for modern air mobility, right? From different types of aerodynamics design to unmanned aero vehicles, the Jones, not for passengers just yet, but the future of transportation in the air is going through a transformation. And Purdue's University Airport with commercial service is going to lead the way. It's going to do wonderful things for our students studying those programs. It's going to do great things for the faculty doing research in those areas. And it's going to do great things for Greater Lafayette. By the way, we thank them because without their support and, of course, Governor Holcomb's and IDC's ready program wouldn't be able to build a new terminal. Now, the third reason, coming back to that terminal, we're going to propose to the Board of Trustees in February, now that we have the approval from the Amelia Earhart Estate, to name the new terminal as Amelia Earhart Terminal. As a true American pioneer and a boilermaker, Amelia 
taught flying at a Purdue University airport in 1930s. Think about that. Amelia Earhart Terminal, brand new commercial services back online at Purdue University Airport. And Chicago O'Hare, Terminal 2, I think, Concourse F. Uh, you should fact check me. But you know, if I'm not mistaken, that is only the beginning. We're going to keep growing the destination list and keep bringing prosperity and jobs to Indiana. Congratulations. That's a great announcement and a special one with Amelia Earhart. That's very special. Well, President Chang, we've made it to off the record speed round where I'm going to give Uh-oh. you quick questions and you try to give me quick answers. You know, <laughs> professors like me, we can't stop talking. So <laughs> I'll try to uh, try to meet your expectation there. All right. Well, the first one is your favorite movie. Thinking about, you know, the first man, Apollo 11, things related to produce heritage. But I'll tell you what, uh, Toy Story 4. <laughs> okay. Favorite place to vacation? Southwest Florida. Favorite musical artist? I'm going to say Yo-Yo Ma because we're trying to get him to uh, come over and do a presidential lecture like the one that uh, Pat Gelsinger did. So uh, I'm going to say it's Yo-Yo Ma and I'm going to send this tape to uh, his agency and say, hey, we really love you and uh, <laughs> please come over uh, next per- year. Perfect. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Read emails. I know it's sad. Title of the last book you read? Boiler Up. Nah, Mitch Daniels. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> that is the title of the book that we just unveiled along with a bust. Uh, every president gets a bust. And uh, Mitch said, I don't want one. I said, Mitch, is Purdue tradition uh, at the uh, Memorial Union. So, yes, you haven't got hold of that book. Uh, I'm sure you've got autographed one already, Nate, but I'm, to the I'm, listeners. I still, still got to get one. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Go, go Amazon. And uh, the book is called Boiler Up by Mitch. I think he may have answered this question earlier, but we'll ask it to make sure. What food can you not live without? Ice cream. Best advice you ever received? The who before the what. Advice for a young person who wants to become a leader? Follow your heart. Can the ever-expanding Big Ten ever be too big? Aha! Uh-huh. No matter <laughs> how big, Purdue basketball will still be number one. <laughs> President Chain, thank you so much for joining me on Off the Record Podcast, and thank you for all you're doing to advance both Purdue University and our great state. Hey, you know what? Indy up, uh, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thanks to Purdue President Meng Chang for our conversation today. To learn more about other leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list, go to indiana250.com and look for a page two feature each week in IBJ. We'll be back with a new Indiana 250 off-the-record conversation soon. 